Our dear kind Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you so much for each one that is here today. And Lord, as we're here, we're asking for the Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher. Lord, I can't teach this, but you can. You can bring this message home. And Lord, we want to understand it. So bless us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was teaching this class in a church one time when a lady said to me out of frustration, why do I have to know this anyways? I believe it. Is it enough to believe? You see, if you don't know why you believe it, you will eventually lose it. And that's the same with all of our truths. If you don't believe all of the truth of the Bible and understand why you have made a decision to believe it, you eventually will be persuaded to do something different. And so that's why this class is, I feel, very important because I believe as Adventists we used to be known as the people of the book. But i got to tell you, we're not known as that anymore. You might think we are, but the reality is, is many people don't study their Bible anymore. Many people just show up, And they listen, it's almost like punching in the time clock. So I believe this topic is very important. I want to draw it out on a board as we go, but I think you need some background as to why. And so I very quickly want to go through Daniel chapter 8. I'm not going to do an exhaustive study on Daniel chapter 8. I normally take a whole session and do on Daniel chapter 8. And what I mean by that is a night When I do evangelism, I take Daniel chapter by chapter and then Revelation chapter by chapter, and it's amazing how they tie together. And I'll take a whole night on Daniel chapter 8, but I can't afford to do that because we need to get through the 2300 days. But I think you need to see the background as to what this is all about. And I want to share with you a theory out there that just goes along with the whole idea of the rapture, because remember, that's one of the reasons we flopped our subjects is because we want to understand the whole issue of the seven years of tribulation, where do they get it, what is the cause of it, and all of that. So we're going to get to that today. Daniel chapter 8, Daniel sees a vision. And I just want to highlight some things for you. If you look at verse 3, it says, I lifted my eyes, talking about Daniel does, he sees a vision. I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before a river a ram. A what? A ram which had how many horns? Two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher came up last. And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast could stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became what? Great. Now I want you to remember that word great. Okay? Who came, became great? Yeah. Ah, the ram. Isn't that what I just read? We're talking about the ram. Okay. Now, notice we're going to continue on. Verse 5, And as I was considering, behold, a he-goat, some translations say a rough goat, came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram, which had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler, that word means hatred, against him, and smote the ram and brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, but there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed 
How, how much? Very great. Now, the ram was great. The he-goat was very great. No, notice we're going to continue. And he was strong, and a great horn was, and, and the great horn was broken. And for it came, for, and for it came up four notable horns toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great. So the little horn waxed what? Okay, the ram was great. The he-goat was very great. And the little horn is exceeding great. Okay, very good. Toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars of the ground, or to the ground, and stamped upon them. Yea, he was magnified himself even to who? The prince of the host. Now, who's the prince of the host? Jesus. That'd be Jesus. That's right. Magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily, what? Sacrifice. Now, if you look at your Bible, what do you notice about that word sacrifice? It's italicized. What does that mean? It means it was not in the original language, but was rather supplied by the translators. Now, sometimes they, they always do it to try and give you a, a better explanation. I think in this case, it had been better off left out. Because when you think of daily sacrifice, what do you think of? The sanctuary. That's absolutely right. The sanctuary and his sin offerings and, and all of that. But when you look at this, he's magnifying, this little horn is magnifying himself even to the prince of the host, which is who? Jesus. And by him, who's him? The little horn. The daily was taken away. Now that word daily is a word tamid, which simply means continual. Hmm. What is it that Jesus is doing continually for you and me? He's interceding. That's absolutely right. So, by Him, by this little horn, the intercession of Christ is cast down. Ooh. Notice we continue on. Verse 12. And a host was given Him against the daily sacrifice. Once again, you see that word is italicized. It's supplied. In other words, against the continual. By reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and, come on, prospered. Now notice it says in verse 13, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, what's the words? How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? and a transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall thee what? Sanctuary, sanctuary be cleansed. You see, it, it, it ends there. The vision ends there. And now Daniel begins to seek out the, the, the vision. Now I want to take just a few moments and I want us to take a look at the fact of, of the outline here. Because first off, we see a ram right? And then we see a he-goat, and then we see a, a little horn, right? And so I would ask you the questions, who's a ram? How do you know? Yeah. <laughs> She's right, though. Yes. From the different characteristics that it gives and the order of the kingdoms from previous Ah, very good. You see, the Bible's consistent, and when a prophecy is repeated, it is enlarged. 
Now, if we were to go back to Daniel chapter 2, has everybody seen the vision or the image of Daniel 2? Okay. Do you remember what the head of gold was? It was Babylon. What was the arms and chest of silver? Meat of Persia. What were the belly and thighs of brass? Greece. What were the legs of iron? Rome. And what were the feet? Okay, the ten kingdoms. Then we come to Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel chapter 7 is now, is now initiated with animals. So we first see the winged lion. Who'd that represent? Babylon. Who did the bear standing on one side represent? Media Persia. Now you remember, this ram had how many horns? Two. And they were, were they equal in, in length or height? No. And so here you begin to see the fact that you have the bear that represents um, Medo-Persia. Then you have the leopard with four heads and four wings. What would that represent? Greece. And then what do you have? You have this beast that is, that is so wild that Daniel's never seen anything like it, so he just describes it. And with this description, we see that it has ten horns has great iron teeth. Well, if you correlate that with Daniel chapter 2 in the image, which kingdom had iron? Rome. That's right. So now you begin to see you have a succession of kingdoms again. So you see that you have Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Rome, and on his head were ten horns. And so with the ten horns, you have the division of Rome into ten kingdoms. But Daniel 7 goes further, right? Every time a prophecy is repeated, it is enlarged, and it goes further. Now, what's next after this nondescript beast? A little horn. That's right. So you now take and have a coming down, and then what happens in Daniel 7 after the little horn? What's that? Oh, well, okay, you're describing the little horn. I'm looking at what happens after the little horn takes rule. There's no doubt there's, there's, there's at least ten descriptions of this little horn power and to who it is. So there's no doubt as to who the Bible is referring to. But what I, what I want to look at is what is the next event in sequence? I didn't... Yeah, he tra- plucks out three. Once again, I'm not looking for the characteristics of this little horn because, I, I, you know, we've, we know who that identifies. But, but I'm looking for the next event. If you look at the next event... Ted, just go back to go back to Daniel seven a minute. I got to be careful, Nancy. You got to watch the time for me. Daniel chapter seven. If you look in Daniel chapter eight, Daniel chapter seven and verse eight, it said, "I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn before before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things." Then verse nine, I beheld. Right? So now he sees something else. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. What thrones? What did we just look at? Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The ten kingdoms. So notice he says, after that, I beheld. And the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit. Who's that? That's the Father. Now you say, well, Pastor, how do you know that? Jump down with me to verse 13. Verse 13, I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Who's that? Jesus. Came with the clouds of heaven and came to who? 
Ancient of Days. Now I want to submit he didn't come to himself. He came to his father. Now, let's go back to verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and the wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the judgment was set, and the books were opened. So the next great event that took place after this little horn power was judgment. Okay? Now, then it goes on and Christ receives His kingdom and He receives it when He comes again. So it leads us to the second coming. But then you take and you come to Daniel chapter 8 and you notice it stops with, the vision stops with the whole idea that under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, i got to ask you a question. You say, I already asked, and you said that the ram represented Medo-Persia. Why was Babylon not included in this? It had not passed. Actually, if you look at the dates, you find Daniel receives this vision about 12 years before Cyrus takes over Babylon. So why is it that Babylon is not included in this vision? Okay, well, about the present time he's living in, I want you to remember what was the focus of Daniel chapter 7. It all led up to the judgment, didn't it? Did you notice that he doesn't use the bear here to represent Medo-Persia? And he doesn't use the leopard to represent Greece, right? And yet very clearly, if you're Daniel chapter 8 and come down to verse 20, it says, the ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Who's that talking about? Alexander the Great. You're absolutely right. Now, you remember what happened to Alexander the Great? When he realized he wasn't going to be able to conquer anymore, he got sick and he died, and what happened to his kingdom? It was split it up, split up, and it was split up into four parts. Now, did he have four sons? No. No. His four generals actually took control of the kingdom. And of course, they fought among themselves because they all wanted to be ruler. And finally, it narrowed down to two. And so you find that progression coming down through. But it's interesting because you ask yourself, okay, who after that? Notice, notice it says in verse 22, and that being broken... Whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. Now, did you catch this? Not in his power. In whose power? Alexander the Great. That's absolutely right. Now, when you begin to see this, he stands up, but not in his power. And then notice it says, and in the latter times of their kingdom... When the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance. Who's that talking about? It's talking about the little horn, right? Now notice, understanding dark senses shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and holy people. Now my question is, we already know the ram is Medo Persia, Right? We already know that the, the he-goat is Greece. We are, then who is the little horn? How do, you, how do you prove that? 
Because I want to read you something. Most of the Christian world doesn't believe that. Most of the Christian world, I'm going to read you just one excerpt. Okay? As Daniel watched, a fifth horn began to rise. It started from small beginnings, but eventually grew right into the heavens. His horn exalted itself and desecrated the Jewish temple. We are even given the exact period of time for which this destruction would take place, 2,300 evenings and mornings. Okay? So there's no doubt what we're talking about, right? Now notice, now this is where things get interesting. There is no doubt from the context and history that this little horn is the infamous Antioch Epiphanes. Hmm. Anybody ever heard of him? Okay. Antioch was, had a small beginning. He goes on to des- describe what he did. And so I want to jump down a little bit. It says, as, so as I said, the context is certainly about Antiochus and was fulfilled in history. I jump down a little bit further. This one is a coming world leader whose hatred and destruction of the Jews shall surpass all before him in history. He is the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. He is the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He is the beast of Revelation 13, or as he is more commonly known, he is the Antichrist of 1 John 2. So you ask, why is this important? Well, how do you defend with a brother or sister that says, that that's not Rome, that's Antioch Epiphanes. And most of the Christian world today will tell you that. Most of your study Bibles, if you look at the notes by Daniel chapter 8 and verses you know, 9, 10, and 11, they'll talk about the fact that it be in Antiochus Epiphanes. Now the thing that you've got to realize is this. There's some keys that you can look at that help you to understand. Number one, you remember the ram? It waxed what? Great. The he-goat waxed very great, and the little horn waxed exceeding great. So that's obviously more powerful, bigger, stronger. Was Antiochus Epiphanes stronger, bigger than Medo-Persia or Greece? No. In fact, you began to realize that, that Antiochus was simply one of, the, one of the relatives, coming down the line, one of the kings of the Seleucid dynasty. He was about 8 of 26. And so as he comes down, did he attack the Jews? Absolutely, he gave them a hard time. Did he like them? No, he did not. So there's some characteristics that apply that you could say, okay, maybe that works. But you couldn't say that he was one that actually was exceeding great over the Greece. Remember, it already said that, he, that their power, what, what did it say? In verse 22 of Daniel chapter 8, now that being broken, talking about the little horn, not, not the little horn, talking about the one horn in the, in the he-goat, was broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand out of that nation, but not in his what? Power. So obviously, if the little horn waxed exceeding great, which would be greater than the he-goat, how could a king that came from the Seleucid dynasty, which was part of the Grecian kingdom, be the little horn? The other thing you got to look at is this, and it says, notice this, verse 23, and in the latter time of their kingdom. Now, if you look that up in the Hebrew, you begin to find that that's actually talking about at the end of or the very last. 
Well, 8 out of 26 doesn't bring me to the end. Amen? So it just doesn't fit that it is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. Remember, every prophecy that if we were to go back and look at Daniel chapter 2, you have Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome, right? And then the Ten Kingdoms. In Daniel 7, you have, you have the uh, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome in the Ten Kingdoms, and then the Little Horn or Papacy. Now, you begin to look and see what happens here, and it says, and back, coming back to verse 13, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily or the intercession of Christ and a transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. See, the setting is now Daniel's in captivity, and now God tells him unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, and he has to be baffled. Why would he be baffled? Because the sanctuary laid in ruins. And he recognized that the cleansing of the sanctuary was the same as the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement happened once a year. But they've not been able to do that. Because here it is, they've been in captivity. And the sanctuary is in ruins. And now he's saying, wait a minute, that doesn't how, how is that going to take place? So jump down to the end of the vision. Well, the end of the chapter, I should say. Notice with me in verse 26. And the vision of the evening and mornings which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for what? Many days. If you went back to chapter, verse 17 and again in verse 19, it says it will be for the time of the end. Now notice he goes on, verse 26, And I, Daniel, fainted and was six certain days, and afterwards I rose up and did the king's business. I was astonished at the vision, and everybody understood it. I'm glad you're following with me. That's right. No one understood it. What didn't he understand? Did he not understand who the ram was? Well, he knew who the ram was. Gabriel told him. That was media Persia. Did he not understand who the he-goat was? That wasn't a problem. He knew. That's right. The, the Lord laid that all out for him, so the real question that was left unanswered was a question of how long? What was the answer? 2,300 days. That's right. So we're looking here at a, at a vision of 2,300 days. I love it. When I go to using a marker board, Nancy starts praying for me. <laughs> you know, here it is. We're looking at a, a total vision. Now, you're at the end of a chapter, verse 27. If you go into Daniel chapter 9, notice it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Azarias, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from Thy precepts and from Thy judgments. What is Daniel doing right now? He's praying, isn't he? We with it? You agree? He's praying. Jump down with me to verse 21. Let's start with verse 20. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. 
And while I was speaking, what? In prayer. And praying. And confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel. And presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my, of my God. He's talking about for Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting you begin to look at it because in all of Daniel 9, from where we stopped reading to where we just picked up, he's praying. Okay? I want you to catch that. I'm not going to read it all for sake of time. But Daniel is praying, and now as he's praying, notice what happens in verse 21. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer. So Daniel was praying. And all of a sudden, standing beside him is Gabriel. And notice it says, And while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning. What vision? Well, not just the 2300 days, but the vision of Daniel 8. I mean, as we've started, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to read part of Daniel chapter 9. What part of Daniel chapter 9 is a vision? So far, it's all been a prayer, right? So now when it says Gabriel comes to him, who he'd seen in the vision, the last vision that he's had is a vision of Daniel chapter 8, right? What was the question left unanswered? How long? What was the answer? 2,300 days. That's right. Very good. Notice we continue. And while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, a commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. What vision? Come on. Daniel 8. Remember, and the reason I say Daniel 8 is because, remember, you saw a ram and a he-goat and a little horn. And, and, of course, we come to the conclusion that it comes down to the question that's left unanswered, how long? He gives the answer, 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And Daniel's confused about that. Because how can that happen when the sanctuary lay in ruins? And so now, Gabriel comes to give him a better understanding, a more full understanding of that vision, which really includes and in, in is particular to the cleansing of the sanctuary. Now we know at the end of the 2300 days here that the sanctuary is going to be cleansed, right? So here we know that at the end of the 2300 days, the sanctuary is going to be cleansed. So now it is that, that Gabriel is going to give him a fuller understanding of this vision. The reason I keep asking you the question of what vision is because there's some people that want to say today Daniel 8 and Daniel 9 are two separate things. I don't think you can separate them. Because as I just showed you, the last vision that Daniel had was the vision of Daniel chapter 8. So he has to come to give him conclusions to the answers, and the answer that he needed was this whole idea of the sanctuary being cleansed. Yes. Yeah, between seven and eight. Yeah. yeah. That's why that's that's why when people say, well, Babylon had passed on, Babylon had not passed on. And the reason is you begin to stop and think, I don't think I mentioned this, but notice the animals are changed to what kind of animals? Sanctuary animals. That's right. Sacrificial animals. Why? Because the focus does not of Daniel chapter eight does not bring you to the second coming. It brings you to the cleansing of the sanctuary. 
So it's important to understand that. And that's why you see Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9 go together. They're not two separate things. They are all one that God is trying to give Daniel an understanding of. Now notice what happens. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to do what? Anoint the most holy. Now, the first thing I have to ask you is this whole idea of what does that word determined mean? If you look that up in Hebrew, you're going to be surprised because if you think of determined today, that means grit, you're going to do it, it's not going to, nothing's going to stop you. But you know what? That's not what that word means. That word actually means cut off. Now some scholars will say, well, that means that this is cut off from the 2300 years. I think that's true. I think it's a section out of there that it's going to focus on. But I think there's also something else that we need to realize, and that is that it says that uh, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Who are Daniel's people? The Jews or Israelites. So it says 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. What's that? Jerusalem. And then it says to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Who's that talking about? Yeah, I heard a few Jesuses. Who came to finish the transgression? When Jesus died on the cross, what did he come to do? Who was, who was it that came to make an end of sins? Jesus. Who was it that came to make reconciliation for iniquity? Jesus. Who came to bring in everlasting righteousness? Jesus. Who came to seal up the vision and prophecy? Jesus. And who was anointed most holy? Jesus. So I want you to catch this. If you can put it this way, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, there's two players. Okay? What two players would it be? Christ and, and what? No, no, no. As you read the verse, upon Daniel's people, right? Now, am I making that up or is that in verse 24? It's in verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Who are Daniel's people? The Jews. So here it is, you begin to look at this whole, this whole section of 490 years. Seventy weeks times seven is what? 490. So if you take, I mean, this obviously has a beginning here, you now take a specified time out of this, which is 70 weeks. And that's times 7 days in a week, which equals what? 490, well, okay, days. I'm going to say years. Now, why do we say years? Oh, that's good. That's right. And that's true. And almost every denomination, scholars included, agree that in prophecy, a day is equal to a literal year. Now, where do we find that scripturally? Okay, Numbers 14.34, that's my favorite one, and Ezekiel 4.6. That's right. Very good. Write them down. Ezekiel 4.6 and Numbers 14.34. You can put those right there at the bottom. A day for the year principle. 
Ezekiel 4.6 and Numbers 14.34. The reason I like Numbers 14.34 is because that's the experience of where they sent the 10 spies into the land, or 12 spies into the land. They were there for 40 days. And then they come back and they give the, the report, man, it's truly a land flowing with milk and honey, but we can't take it because there's giants in the land. And only two, Caleb and Joshua, said, no, the Lord's given it to us, let's go forward. But the ten said, no. Ezekiel 4, 6, in Numbers 14, 34. So God says to them, okay, you're not going to go in. I'm going to lead you out into the wilderness. You're going to wander there 40 years. Each year, for the amount of days, you were in the promised land. So they went in and he says, listen, you're all going to die and I'm going to take your children and your women that you think I'm going to lead you in for destruction. I'm going to bring them into the promised land. And sure enough, that's what took place. And so that's the famous story I like to go to that helps us to understand when God speaks of a prophetic year or a prophetic day, it's equal to a prophetic year. Now, as we're looking here, you see this is then talking about 490 years. But notice it goes on. But keep in the back of your mind, this has to do with who? Jesus and the Jews. That's right. Now, it's important to remind yourself of that because as we go on, you're going to see another popular belief that is taken out of context. Okay. Notice as we go on. Because we've got to find a, a beginning date, don't we? Notice verse 25. Know therefore and understand that the, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be what? Seven weeks and three score in two weeks, or a score is 20. Three score would be 60 and two weeks, so you got 62 weeks, right? So seven weeks and 62 weeks. If you had seven and 62, what do you have? Okay, 69. Now notice. It says, and the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublous times. So we know that this is going to happen. What is, when is going to be the starting of this? And since we're looking at the 70 weeks or the 490 years, we have to begin it, begin it at the same time as the 2300. Why? Because he's given a, a magnifying glass. You know, these glasses are helpful to me. I can see you all, but you know, you're just a little bit fuzzy. But when I put these on, you clear up. And here it is that Daniel, God is giving him a glimpse into what is going to take place during part of the 2300 days. So you have to combine them together. And we know that it goes from the command to restore and what? And build... Jerusalem. Now there's a key there. And that is that you have to be able to see the restoration of the Jews. Yeah, I wish that was higher. I'm sorry. So you want to write down at the beginning, and that is the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Now the question that you'd have to ask yourself, and that is the fact of when was the command to restore and build Jerusalem? What's that? That's a great answer. How'd you arrive at that? <laughs> That's very good. I don't have time to tell you a story, but that happened to me one time in a ministerial class. So uh, the, the, 
people were asked a question and, and he told them they could use their Bibles. And, and uh, the short of the story is when it got all done, nobody got it right. They said to him, well, how would we know that? It's not in the Bible. And he said, it's in mine. <laughs> so it's good to, good to write things in your Bible that you can want to remember and, and take note of. But here you began to look at the fact that how many commands were actually given to restore and build Jerusalem? Three. Do you remember who gave the first one? Ezra chapter 1. Cyrus. Okay, you can go back. Then what was the second one? Remember Sambalad and them, they, uh, they took and made trouble and wrote letters saying the Jews are trying to defect and trying to rebel and, and you need to stop this building and there was a halt to that. And then they, Nehemiah just simply said, check. Check the writings. And the king went back and checked the writings. So the second one was given by Darius. Then we find the fact that the third one was given by Artaxerxes, and that was given in the year 457 B.C. If you take any of the other dates, you find that they come way before Christ. And remember, this said, Know therefore and understand it from the commandment to go to restore and build Jerusalem unto who? The Messiah, the Prince. Who's that? Jesus. Okay. So over here, we find the fact that this brings us to the Messiah, we know that's Jesus. So now let's take the year 457. Notice what is said in your time. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, right? So we now got a break off here. So we got seven weeks. Seven times seven days in a week equals what? 49. That's right. What happens in 49 years? Okay, not only did they finish, the finishing of the temple was actually sooner than that. But remember what one of the keys was? The restoration. Now it was that Israel, even though they were under the government of Media Persia, Still, they were allowed to operate again as their own independent government. And stop and think, wasn't it the same way when Jesus was here? The Romans, I mean, they were answerable to the Romans, weren't they? They couldn't just do what they want. That's why they couldn't just crucify Christ. They had to take and get him to a Roman governor in order to get that done. Yes? Seven times seven days, 49 years. Well, that's correct. Why, why 49 years? A day for a year, that's absolutely right. So we're looking at 49 years. Now, so that brings us 49 years. If we do the math and subtract it, what, is it, what, is it, what date does it bring us to? Because here's the restoring of Jerusalem. Might want to do some more math. Let's just do it. 457 minus 49. Okay, i got to take and borrow from the 5, and that makes that a 4. Makes that 17. 17 minus 9 is what? Come on, guys. It's 8. That's right. you got to help me here. That's 8. Okay, so now we've got 4 minus 4 is 0, and then you bring down to 4. So it brings you to 408 B.C. So here in 408 B.C. is the restoration, not just the rebuilding of, but the restoration of their government. Now, notice he's, because he could have just simply said 69 years, right? But he didn't, he broke that up because that's significant. 
But then now he takes us on for how many more? Another 62. So 62 weeks times seven days in a week equal what? Well, let's do the math. Okay, 62 times 7. 7 times 2 is 14. 7 times 6 is what? 42 plus 1 is 43. So now you have another 434 years. Okay, so we're at 408, and we got to come down another how many years? 434 years. But did you catch something? What's going to happen? Okay, that's right. There is this date time that you're going to cross over called B.C. A.D. Now, as we come down, I can't take 434 away from 408, so I'm going to put it on top, 434. So 8, i got to borrow, that's a 2. What's that? Okay, thank you. 14 minus 8 is 6, 2 minus 0 is 2, zero, 4 minus 4 is 0. So what does that mean? That means that after I cross the line here between B.C. and A.D., I've got another how many years? Another 26 years. That's absolutely right. Now, it's interesting as you come down through the time, because you come down 408, 308, 208, 108, 50, 40, 20, 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and then you end up where? Something to remember. History does not have a zero year. I've heard a lot of preachers try to say, oh yeah, no, you throw in an extra year because there's a zero year. Look in history. Anybody that knows history will tell you there was no zero year in history. So when you're done with 1 B.C., the next date is what? 1 A.D. That's absolutely right. Now, what does B.C. stand for? Before Christ. What does A.D. stand for? It actually comes from the, the, the Greek word, Anna, or Latin word, anadominio, which means the year of our Lord. Okay? So here it is, you begin to look, you go from, from 1 B.C. to now 1 A.D., but how many years do we got to go? What did we do the math? we got to go another 26 years, right? To get to who? The Messiah, the Prince. That's right. So if we're at 1 A.D. and we add 26 years, where does it take us? 27 A.D. So I'm going to write that down. 27 A.D. I hope you're following along with me. So did this bring me to the birth of Jesus? No. When was He anointed Messiah? Ah, it is baptism. So what you really find is here the Messiah, the Prince, Jesus is at His baptism. Now, so that would bring us all the way down to the ending of the 490 years, right? You with me? Ah, I'm wrong. It brings us down to the end of the, the uh, 69 weeks. Let me clean that up a little bit. Okay, so it brings us down to here, which is 27 A.D., and it brings us to Jesus' baptism. Okay, and that covers how many weeks of the original 70 weeks? 69. So we got how many weeks left? One week. Okay, so we're in the last week, 
So we know here we've got one week left, and one week times seven days equals what? Seven years. Now, let's read. Let's continue. Verse 26. And after three score in two weeks. So when does that bring us to? Well, stop and think. We had seven years or seven weeks and three score in two weeks, right? So at the end of this three score in two weeks or the 62 weeks brings you to when? 27 AD. Brings you to the baptism of Jesus, right? Notice it says, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Did Jesus die for himself? No. Who did he die for? For us. That's, how, that's right. But not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the sanctuary in the, in, or the city in the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the wars desolations are determined. And he, who's he? Many will point you back to the fact of the people of the prince. The prince. Hmm. That destroyed the city and the sanctuary. I'll come back to that in just a moment. And he shall confirm the covenant. We know that's Jesus. And I'll explain to you why in just a moment. Shall confirm the covenant with many for how many weeks? One week. And in the midst of the week, what's the midst mean? The middle. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, in the middle of the week, we know we got seven years. What's half of seven? Three and a half. So you got three and a half, and you got three and a half. What happens in the middle? The sacrifice is caused to quit, to cease. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins. That's right. So here in the middle of that, you have the cross. Now, that brings us down to here, which would be the cross. Jesus crucified. Now, what would be the year? Now, let's just take it easy, because here, here we have easy math. It was given in the fall of 457. It was in the fall of 408. It was in the fall of 27 AD. And then we have to come another how many years? Three and a half years. Okay, so if I'm going to make easy math and I say three years, if I'm at the fall of 27 and I go three years, where does it take me to? The fall of 30. But I got to go another six months, right? I got to go another half a year. So if I go from the fall of 30, another six months, where does it take me? The spring of what? Okay, so I'm here at the spring of 31 AD. Now, correlate that. When is Passover? In the spring. When did Jesus die? In the spring. Okay. So now we've got to take, and to get to the end of our 490 years, we've got to go another what? Three and a half years. So if I'm at the spring of 31 AD, and I go three years, where does it take me? Okay, you're right. But the question was, if I go three years from the spring, the spring of 34, but I've got to go another six months, so you're right. So if I add another six months or a half a year to the spring of 34 AD, where does it take me? Okay, the fall of 34 AD. Now, remember what it said. 
In Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks are determined or given as a cutoff date for who? The Jews. That's right. What happened in 34 AD that was significant with the cutting off of the Jews as God's holy people? They They stoned Stephen. What happened then? The Gospel went to the Gentiles. Now, listen to me very carefully. A Jew can be saved on the same premise as a Gentile. Amen? They have to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Amen? That's the only way anybody's getting to heaven. There's only one name given among men whereby which we must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. So a Jew or a Gentile can accept Jesus. Now we know the Jews as a nation did not ever do that, did they? And so here you now have what is called, as Paul describes it, as spiritual Israel. There's anyone that's baptized into Christ and is put on Christ. There's neither, no longer Jew nor Greek, male nor female, uh, free or bond. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if we be Christ, then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So now God has a whole new group of people. Jesus, when he was here, was rejected by his people, by his church, and created a new one. Now I want you to know for sure, you don't have the right to create your own new one. Jesus already did that. Amen? Sometimes you get discouraged and and, and frustrated and decide, well, I'm going to go do my own thing. No, God doesn't give you the right to do that. Listen to me. If you read about the last church in Revelation, it's a church that's pitiful. It's poor, blind, naked. It's in trouble. And it doesn't even realize it. And Jesus gives it counsel. And when it wakes up and receives the counsel, those are the people that are going to be ready for Jesus to come. So you began to look and see that here in the fall of of 34 AD, you have the stoning of Stephen and the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, we've covered 490 years. Now, it's interesting when you get a look at this, because did you notice it says here in verse 26, it says, And after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, And the people of the prince shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, this is where they get the seven years of tribulation. It's the only place that talks about that. And so here they say this last week is the seven years of tribulation. And in the midst of the week, or the middle of the week, is when the Antichrist is going to arise. And so the rapturist would say, okay, God's people are raptured before here. And then the literal second coming is here. And in between, you have the rise of the Antichrist. Yes? I'm sorry, sir. Um, 34 AD. Gospel to what? To the Gentiles. Thank you. I'm sorry. This is uh, My writing isn't that good anyways. But when you put in a wiggly board, it's even worse. But when you begin to look at this, you ask yourself the question. Can you take this last week of the 70 weeks, and say, boom, and put it down here. Come on, can you do that? No, you can't do that. Why? Because who gave the prophecy? Come on, who gave this prophecy? Jesus did. He gave it to Daniel. 
And so when he began to look, he's now sent Gabriel to give him further understanding. So now you can't just say, well, I'm going to take this last week and put it clear down in history. But see, that's what the rapturous theory all does. They pull this out, they put it down in the last week, and you surely can understand why. Because this whole last week deals with Jesus, his baptism, his crucifixion for you and me, and the gospel going to the Gentiles. If they can pull that out of history, if they can pull that out and get rid of it, if they can pull the focus off of Jesus, they have won. And obviously, who is the instigator of that? Satan. That's right. And so you begin to look. This is where they get the seven years of tribulation. But can you apply that to the seven years of tribulation? No, because really when you look at it, it says, it says, well, wait a minute, Pastor, wait a minute. It says, the people of the prince came and destroyed the city and sanctuary. Who was it that destroyed the sanctuary? Come on. The Romans did. That's absolutely right. So here it is. They weren't Christians. So you must have an antichrist power that comes in to destroy that. How do you answer that? Take a side note. Take your Bible. Hold, hold your Bible right here. Put something there. Go with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 22, excuse me. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to start in the very first verse. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. If you're there, see, please say amen. 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 And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parable, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and called forth his servants and called them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, behold I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all the things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and treated them spitefully and slew them. And when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And that means angry. And he sent forth what? Whose armies? His armies. Whose armies was that? The king's armies, right? And destroyed those murderers and burned their what? Their city. Now it's interesting, Jesus is speaking here, and He's trying to let us know something, right? I mean, He doesn't just talk to talk. There's a, there's a lesson to be learned here. So who's the king? Wait a minute, He's making a marriage for His son. So the king would be the father. He makes a marriage for His son. And He invites guests to come to it, so He sends out people to invite people to the wedding and do they come no when did that take place by the way see jesus is actually talking literally here even though he's sharing it in a parable do you remember when jesus sent out the 70 they went out two by twos and he said to them don't go to the gentiles but go where to the lost sheep of the house of israel okay he's trying to gather them in did they accept it? No, they did not accept it. So then you take and come, and he says, okay. Then he says in verse 4, again, he sent forth other servants, saying, tell them that are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatling are killed, and all things are ready come unto the marriage. So when would that be? Remember when Jesus died on the cross? 
What did he tell his disciples when he came back and spent 40 days with them? And just before he went back to heaven to intercede for you and me, he gives the great gospel commission. And he tells them, wait here for the promise of the Father. But when he has come, you'll be witnesses of me into Judea and Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. So here it is, he's telling them, wait, you're going to be endowed with the Holy Spirit and then you're going to be my witnesses and it's going to go all over the world. But what happened to the disciples? Notice what it says. But they made light of it. Verse 5, And went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and a remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and did what? Slew them or, or killed them. Now, I want you to know, how many of the disciples were martyred? All but one. Who was the one? John. They tried to get him. In fact, tradition says he was placed in a pot of boiling oil. And I can't, everybody's got their own opinion. It doesn't say. But I think when he came up from that pot of boiling oil, I bet he said, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, our God, he saved the three Hebrews in the fire. And when he, they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. Amen? God is able. Doesn't matter what you go through, God is able, He's still in charge, and He is the one that you can lean on and trust. He will never let you down. Amen? But notice what happens. Verse 7. But the king, who's the king? The father. Heard thereof, he was wroth or angry, and he sent forth his what? Armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up the city. Now what is he saying? Who was it that came in to destroy Rome? Or not Rome, but uh, Jerusalem. The Romans did. Now the interesting thing is you go and look at history, they, they marched on Jerusalem. And then for no apparent reason turned around and retreated. Jerusalem thought, the Jews thought, hey, they're afraid of us. But the Christians recognized that as a sign that God gave them in Matthew chapter 24. And what did they do? They left. They got out of there. And a couple weeks, a couple uh, of, of months later, when Mar when uh, Titus marched on Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was destroyed, history records that not one Christian died because they'd heeded the warnings that God gave them. So the interesting thing that I come back to this though is when you come back to Daniel chapter nine, the king talking about the father claims that the Roman army was his, right? Why could he claim that? Okay, because of his son. Listen, listen. When we gave in to sin, Satan took claim of this world. When Jesus died, he reclaimed this world. Amen? Even though he never really gave it away. He proved the fact that everybody here was so valuable to Him that He was willing to die for them. He now reclaims the world. Whether they accept it or not, whether they believe it or not, Jesus is our Lord. Amen. Now, you can choose to walk away and He gives you that right, but that doesn't mean He doesn't own you. Amen? And so here He takes credit for the fact of leading the Roman army in to destroy the Jews that had destroyed His Son and their they're his followers. So when you come back to Daniel chapter 9 and you look at this fact that it says, after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. 
and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. And it comes down to verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's all talking about Christ. It's all talking about the Messiah. It's not Antichrist. Remember, in, in verse 24, it says 70 weeks are determined upon who? Thy people, which are who? The Jews and Jesus, right? It says, it says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. It's all talking about Jesus. So your players in verse 24 are the Jews and Jesus, and verses 25, 26, and 27 are simply a magnifying glass of verse 24. There's no room for the Antichrist in there. Amen? But you see, the devil, if he can get you taken away, if he can get you to believe that this last week is taken out and you can somehow leave that 70-week prophecy with 69 years and put a huge gap in there and take it down to the end of time, he's got you deceived. Yes? Yeah, but the thing is, to take it out of context, when you go to the book of Revelation, that doesn't go. I'm totally with you. It doesn't fit. But let me tell you, it's prevalent in Christianity today. I mean, you talk to people about the rapture, and you talk to people about seven years of tribulation, they say, I'm glad I'm not going to be here. Let me just say this very quickly. If God takes Christians in the last day out before they have to go through tribulation, He's going to owe an apology to a lot of people. The Huguenots, the Waldenses, all the people that died during the Dark Ages, all of His disciples. You know, the Lord could have raptured them away, saved them from that, but the Lord doesn't say that. In fact, take your Bibles with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. And I want to start with verse 15. Matthew chapter 24. And I want to start with verse 15. And I need to come back and finish our math. Matthew 24 in verse 15. The Bible says, And when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by who? Daniel, Daniel the prophet. We were just looking at part of that. Stand in the holy place. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which are in the Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him that is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray, that, pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the what? Sabbath day. For then shall be a what? A great tribulation. A great tribulation. Mm. Such as was not begin, since the beginning of the world to this time, nor... No, nor ever shall be. And except those days be shortened, there should be no what? Flesh saved, but for who? The elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now who's talking? Jesus is. Why would He have to shorten the days for the elect's sake if the elect weren't there? Amen? Amen. So listen, God has never promised you a primrose path that is going to be easy. Just become a Christian, just accept me, and things will go great. I'll tell you what, it's just the opposite, because you really bring down the wrath of the devil when you decide to do what's right. As long as you're complacent, he doesn't even mind if you go to church. 
If you're going to sit in a pew and warm a pew and be critical of others and backbite and, and just cause havoc, he'd rather have you there. But when you get excited and you begin to pray and you begin to study every day and you begin to get closer to Jesus and you become a witness for Him, you get the devil excited against you. So it's important to understand that here we see that the tribulation is going to go on and we are going to go through it. But I'll tell you what, all you got to do is look at the plagues of Egypt and realize that God is able to protect you through the plagues. Amen? All right, let's come back to Daniel chapter 9. I want to finish the math here. Daniel chapter 9. Now remember, we're looking at a bigger picture, right? Not just 70 weeks, we're looking at what? 2,300 days, or really we're talking about years. So, if we've ended in the fall of 34 A.D., are you with me? Come on, yes or no? Yes. Okay, thank you. So we've covered 490 of the 2300 years. So I'm just going to do some math here. 2300 minus 490. Okay? Well, I got to do some borrowing here. That's got to that's actually got to be a 2 or a 1 and that's got to be a 2 and that's got to be a 10 and that's got to be a mess yeah. Okay, that's a zero. That's a one. Yeah, I, I messed you up when I crossed off that three, didn't I? Okay. So you really come down. You've got, you've got twenty-two. Yeah, you've got twenty. Um, that's really a two there. So you, this becomes twenty-two minus four. Ah, uh, here. Let me do. Let me. I know. Let me start over. You know, that's what happens when you try to get in a hurry. Anyway, so we've got 2,300. And we're going to subtract 490. Now, I don't need to borrow anything to, from zero to zero, right? So I can simply bring that zero down. But in order to, to subtract nine, I've got to borrow from the three. That makes that a two, right? That makes that a ten. So ten minus nine is one. Now... 22 minus 4 is what? Because I could borrow this and I could make it a 1 and that'd make that a 12. 12 minus 4 is 8. I bring down to 1, that means 810. Are you with me? What does that give me? It gives me the space of time between here and here. Are you with me? So if we take, and I'm going to get this out of the way, you've got 1810 years to this date. What was going to happen on this date? Sanctuary would be cleansed. That's absolutely right. Now, if we're at 34 AD and we go another 1810 years, let's do the math. 0 plus 4 is 4. What's 1 plus 3? 4. And then you got 18 there. Brings you to the fall of 1844. Now, what was going to happen in the fall of 1844? Well, that's what they thought. But when you read this, the Bible says, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Daniel knew that as a fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. What happened on the Day of Atonement? 
a time period in which the sins of Israel that had been attached to the sanctuary through the high priest were then cleansed. What is it Jesus is doing for us right now? He's cleansing the sanctuary. What, 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 is there sin in heaven? No, but the record of sin is in heaven. Whose sin? Our sin. Jesus, as our lawyer, as our mediator, is standing there in our stead and is taking in applying His blood to you and to me. Amen. Now you need to understand something clearly. People want to end it at the cross and say, oh, there's no heavenly sanctuary and there's no judgment. It, Jesus did it all on the cross. Let me tell you something. If you stop at the cross, we're all lost. Why? Because at some point in time, He had to take that blood, that precious blood that He shed, and apply it to your life and mine. He does that through the judgment. And that's what it foretells. Listen, brothers and sisters, once He's done with judgment, He stands up. Go with me to one more passage. Daniel chapter 12. I've got two minutes. Daniel chapter 12. Notice with me in verse 1. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up. Who's, who's Michael? Jesus. It's Jesus, that's right. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be what? Delivered. Delivered. What's he talking about? Second coming. That's right, second coming. Now listen to me. Jesus, when He is done with His high priestly ministry, He's done with judgment. Every case has been decided. The Bible says there'll come a time when He says, He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And then He says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Here we begin to see that just before Jesus comes, every case has been decided and there's no change in sides. Jesus then comes to get His people. He takes off His priestly garments. He puts on His kingly garments. And He comes as King of kings and Lord of lords and gathers His people to take them back. Hallelujah! Amen? Amen. I'm looking forward to that time. I look at this and, and say, okay, since 1844 to now, how long has it been? Off hat, I think it's about 173 years. With Noah, it went how long? 120. Now let me ask you a question. How much longer do you think he has? I want to submit to you that he's holding off for you and me to be ready. Amen? And I'll tell you what, I want to be ready for Jesus to come. Amen? Now, how many of you would like to say today, I want to be ready for Jesus to come, regardless of the cost. I want to be ready for Jesus to come. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Our dear, kind Heavenly Father, I want to thank You so much for each one that is here. And Lord, as we spend some time looking at this prophecy, I just pray that this is brought to light an understanding of the importance of this prophecy and how unique it is to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And Lord, how important it is that we understand what You are doing right now in our behalf. And so, Lord, we just pray today that You will accept our decision that we want to live for You and we want to be ready for You to come. Lord, may we honor that by how we talk and how we live and that You, Lord, will be supreme in our life. 
So bless us now today and thank you again for camp meeting. May you continue to give your spirit to all of us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.